Hello, welcome to the Quarter Ballast Podcast. Happy New Year. I am your host, Joe, and I am joined tonight by V. Hello. And Muse. Hello. How was your guys' Christmas break? It was a very quiet Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> a silent night, perhaps? Yeah, felt really weird doing a streamed version of a Christmas Eve service. It was just me and my parents, because the rest of our family lives elsewhere, and because of COVID stuff, we couldn't go visit them, though it's been a while since we visited family, so it's usually been the three of us. Did you have any snow? Ha, ha, not North Carolina. We don't, we don't get snow, except, like, rarely. It's usually, like, MLK weekend, and we're supposed to actually be slated to get snow tomorrow night here. But, yeah, we, we don't ever get a white Christmas. Oh, wait, actually, we did kind of have snow. <laughs> Little tiny snow flurries, like, the tiniest whiffs. Like, you could barely see them, and it lasted for a very brief second. But it was really cute, so we kind of had snow. <laughs> Sort of. Well, Oregon got no snow. Um, we did, however, get to spend Christmas with my family. Smaller than usual, but uh, still had handmade gifts and lots of laughter and food. I just got the biggest damn tree I've ever had in my life. Someone um, brought the Rockefeller Center tree to Oregon. <laughs> Some, no thanks necessary. It oh is a Christmas gosh. miracle. <laughs> Some New Yorker up in here <laughs> brought me this Christmas. Okay, it hits its head on the ceiling a little bit. I could not fit my star on top, but it doesn't even show. Like, you wouldn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. No, seriously, it's just like barely touching the ceiling. The way the top of it branches out, it kind of looks like a star. <laughs> Yeah, anyways. (laughs) I got lots of cool presents. My parents gave us toilet paper. You got some nice glass cleaner. I got glass cleaner. I got Clorox. I got uh, sanitizing wipes. Amazing mouthwash. It was a weird collection of Christmas items from my parents. I don't know. And then there were like some really cool ones that were related to my industry and hobbies. Joe got me gardening gloves. Oh. They're purple gloves with black spikes on the end so that you can tread through your garden. Like, like just dig in your you garden. You totally don't claws. look like Catwoman gloves. <laughs> that 100% is exactly look like Catwoman what gloves. I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, like for her birthday, I got her a Catwoman book because I know that was her favorite. So it was like one of those like 75th anniversary collection one. So I was like, what can I get this, like, Catwoman really? I don't want to get her, like, another comic, because she said not to get her comics. So I was, like, looking, and I saw just, like, I didn't even type it in. It just saw, like, gardening gloves, and it looked like a cat thing. So I was like, oh, perfect. But they only had it in, like, uh, neon blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, but I was lucky enough to find, like, some purple ones. Didn't you get something fandom-related for Christmas? Oh, yeah. I got a bunch of D&D stuff. The biggest things where I got three uh, D&D manuals. Those are pretty expensive. Yeah, I was going to say, those are pretty pricey. I, I just put them down, and I was not expecting to get all of them, but I did. So what did you get from Joe? I'm wearing them right now is my headset, because my old one kind of took a tumble off my desk one too many times, and in the middle of D&D, the mic eventually up and died. At least it died doing what it loved. Yes. And it arrived Christmas morning. Christmas Eve, actually. Shipping this Christmas was insane. Considering my Christmas presents for my friends that I bought 
on Black Friday just arrived this week. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness, those are so cute. Those it's a Ford and Jester. Now describe them for the listeners who do not have a webcam. These are what I got my friends that came from California from A Sunny Disposition. It's little pins of Jester and Ford, which are favorite characters. And then I got Very them some cute. fancy dice. That is an extremely cute Jester. I know. It's actually, Sunny Disposition does, because uh, this is her fan art from like her Etsy and her official stuff, but if you actually go on the Critical Role's website, there are these beautiful enamel pens that she designed um, as well. And she even designed the Frumpkin plushie that you can get. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Very cool. I also have an item from hers, which is ironic. Oh, yep. And she has a bunch of like Hamilton stuff. Bad. too. But Can't bring in the new year without a yep, Genji that, that, that in one. your face. Just rest your wrist comfortably. No worries of carpal tunnel. <laughs> I feel like I need a better one because it's... He looks so dirty now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's got what? some swamp ass going on. What is that? Because <laughs> that's where my wrist goes. And like, your, your wrist does produce a decent amount of oils. And then also I keep my hair tie on that wrist. And if I take a shower, it gets just water in it. So I usually will have oh, to like Genji. either put my hair up or take the hair tie off or roll it up my arms so it's not resting awkwardly on it because it will get it wet. I think you need to put Genji through the washing machine. <laughs> yeah, Genji needs to be spot clean. <laughs> so much worse because it's his butt. <laughs> Poor Genji. It's just never mind. Anyways, Joe, what'd you get for Christmas? Oh my god, I got so many cool things. Amazing the bookends for a bookshelf that V had gotten me. It has a cutout of a certain superhero with a cape. So it looks like they are holding the books up (laughs) and it looks amazing. And I cannot wait to organize the bookshelf so I can use them. That was probably one of the major highlights of like Christmas gifts that I got. It was so unexpected. It was something I did not know existed. And I am so amazed that it does. I love it. I really feel bad that I haven't really gotten around to setting it up yet. I've been organizing a bunch of comics, just redoing all the comic boxes in half, and I'm currently cataloging them. And I also got to finish making my list of all the comics I've read in 2020. I was keeping my own list, as well as Goodreads, but Goodreads didn't have all the comics that I read. I didn't know what Goodreads book challenges were. I never had a Goodreads account before. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll just check off, like, I'll read 100 books by 2020. Goodreads said I read 653. My actual comic list says that I read 709. Well, <laughs> I think it's time we forcibly remove you from comics. I think that is too much. I think the police need to be called. I think he needs to have a comic intervention at this point. Did you see his New Year's resolution? No. It's so much worse. As a little challenge for myself, I am reading a new comic that I've never read ever before from V's collection of comics. I want to say, though, out of the six that I've read so far, five of them have been great. One of them was a flop. It was Gail Simone's Birds of Prey. Yeah. I told you it would be. You did, but I was already halfway through it when you told me. (laughs) I'm trying to get rid of that one. I don't want it. But he did read Captain Adam. I did. I just read Captain Adam today. Captain Adam was so good. 
I never read anything with Captain Adam except for like one issue from New Fifty Two, and it was like one of those like middle story arc issues. Oh. So I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Like I've only ever seen them in the Justice League cartoon and the Young Justice cartoon. And they give him no characterization except that he's patriotic and also crazy. So but like, it was so good. It had comedy. It gave you great experiencing this newfound powers of his and like getting to master them it showed you a very dark plot twist to his origin that i knew nothing about it was crazy i gave this thing like five stars i think carrie bates and uh patrick broderick in 1987 i think the only thing i've read with adam is public enemies that was it oh yeah and he wasn't even like the main character like in recent years they've kind of made him sort of uh, a flanderized version of himself in the early like in the 80s i've collected his comics from the 80s and it's really nice to have someone to look through them with a fresh eye and be (laughs) like hey these are good your choices (laughs) are justified (laughs) so (laughs) that's been nice i really need to read some older comics that aren't from the modern age got recommendations i got some supermans from the 60s and 70s and i have some wonder woman's from the 60s and 50s and i have some dazzlers <gasps> that's from the 80s she's 80s oh, i love yeah, dazzlers those are good those are real good i think one of the oldest comics i have is a batman comic tim drake's first appearance that is my oldest one that's cool that's but my oldest those are comics i read for this year but last year i read a bunch of good ones and I want to say exactly 36 of them that I read were not even published in 2020. (laughs) And they are like my top five for 2020. And they were all Superman comics from 1999 to 2000. You need to tell us the writer and artist. Okay. Or at least like which series. Because you can't just say, oh yeah, Superman from the 80s. (laughs) He was great. I loved that. All right. So action comics, 760 to 770. From Joe Kelly, German Garcia, and Kano. That was 1999 to 2000. That was such a good interpretation of all the characters involved. Adventures of Superman, uh, 573 to 583 by Stuart Emonen and Mark Miller. And the Superman series from Jeff Loeb and Ed McGuinness. That one, Mm. I believe, out of all three of those was like by far my favorite. Jeff Loeb is an amazing Superman writer. I've been a real big fan of his with the Superman Batman series, uh, Superman for All Seasons. Mm-hmm. Ugh, and Ed McGinnis is also a really good artist, too. It's very cartoony. Yeah, well, that was like the 90s, like like the Y2K time, which is very cartoony. I could see that even in Robin around this time. It got very cartoony. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it definitely fits the scene, and he does still get to show, like emotional reactions to certain things it was insanely good it had um the emperor joker event in it it had superman y2k event there was another one called (laughs) critical condition that was also really good but for 2020 it was really hard to like say like i had anything that was top favorite i had some enjoyable ones like hawkman from robert fenditti that one just ended this year definitely got me to appreciate hawkman and Joshua Williamson's The Flash, which, you know, I've been going on and on about that since 
the beginning of our podcast when I got to talk to him at Rose City in 2019 and how like he grew up reading The Flash that was his favorite superhero so getting to write The Flash was like his dream come true and those are the kind of fans that you need as writers we've said this before if like this is like something that I grew up with and I'm trying to re-portray that oh right like you you found this character a certain way and you want to continue to portray him right yeah we really appreciate writers who put the character above their own egos in this oh, yeah. house. <laughs> totally. <laughs> this court of Owlet's house. <laughs> A nest, if you will. Are we here? What about you, Muse? Do you have any good comics you remember from 2020? Well, for me, 2020 was very much like a really thin, slow year. Um, I don't really remember much of the early half pre-quarantine. I don't think I was really reading too many things that was just outstanding. So really the only things on my list was Batman, issue 86 to the present day. It's more specifically the Joker War stuff, yeah. which is, of course, James Tinian, Tony Daniel, Gillen March, and Jorge Jimenez really revitalized Batman after Tom King. Mm-hmm. Tinian, he's one of my favorite writers right now for many reasons especially with dc he has his weaknesses and issues but like who's perfect but it's refreshing to have somebody that actually really cares about the character like i think he has a similar mindset to williamson with batman where it's like i really want to bring him back again in a way that people will enjoy (laughs) and with marvel empire wasn't the strongest but i really still love that one shot of lords of empire emperor hulkling for me it was a great one shot it brought a lot of loose threads they finally connected a bunch of it and filled in some gaps that we weren't getting with the main storyline and you got to see more into uh wiccan and hulkling's story leading into it which is kind of nice and they're two of my favorite characters and it was great to see that and them interacting with other uh young avengers characters that we haven't seen in a really long time uh, and of course, we have wind. I love wind. Oh, it was so it was good. Beautiful. The art is it's just so eye-catching and colorful. Mm. It's definitely a refreshing, younger uh, mm. art style than we're used to seeing from his DC books. Yes, definitely. And he doesn't have giant text of writing. <laughs> I know. What's That's that about? That's the biggest takeaway from wind. <laughs> Um, so Wind, of course, is written by James Tinian, and the art is done by Michael Dalinus. That's a series I'm still trying to finish. I know I've been saying for months after issue two came out that I'm like, oh, I need to read the next issue. I need to... It's just been sitting there in my giant pile of, like, to-be-read indies. It's only six issues. Hopefully we'll get a series two for this. Probably will. It went off the shelves at my local comic book store. Also another bonus to Wind its variant covers are done by this wonderful uh, Japanese artist. Her name is Peach Momoko. She's great. She's done a lot of covers. I think that she's gotten picked up a bit by Marvel. She's been doing some variant covers oh. for Marvel recently. It's beautiful covers. So yeah, those those were my favorite comics for 2020 that I can remember because 2020 was a weird blur. <laughs> and some of the comics I read were very mediocre, and I read them to just get through it. Understandable. (laughs) (laughs) He had to get one last stab in. Turn the knife. (laughs) What about you, V? Oh, um, 
yeah, I got maybe five-ish series. So I read um, some of the Jim Henson books mm, yeah. and the Storyteller series. It's like a few series, and they're each themed. But my favorite was Ghosts. Basically, they pick different authors to do different comics with different artists. So it's just a, a huge mishmash mm. of ghost stories with different artists. Mm. And some of them are from different Asian-inspired ghost stories or European or American. I think my favorite was about a banshee and a little boy. Mm. I think that was in the third issue. But yeah, they're, they're a mixed bag. But mm. I like mixed bags, and I think that's going to be a theme for this list. Another one I recommend is Batman The Adventure Continues, yeah. or The Adventures Continue, uh, by our boy, Batman the Animated Series, mm-hmm. Paul Dini, Alan Burnett, and the art by Ty Templeton. It's good, it's classic, it's comfort food. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. It does get a little bit confusing, though, because uh, it started off as a digital series just because of the pandemic, and then it, they slowly came out the printed stuff. So the printed stuff is slowly trying to catch up to the digital. Because I think the digital is a good, like, five or six issues ahead. Yeah, right. Uh, I also wanted to call attention to a sort of weird one uh, called Bone Parish by Colin Bunn. It's uh, about a family mafia. It involves voodoo, haunting, drugs that give you superpowers. It gets chaotic. Definitely off the beaten path. I love it a lot. I think it's Dark Horse, but I don't want to like. I put think it, it's Dark Horse or Boom. I believe. No, it's not no. Boom. It's either Image or Dark Horse, but I'm pretty sure it's Dark Horse. Anyways, mm-hmm. Colin Bunn is one of my favorite writers. He, I haven't liked everything he do, he's done, but he has done um, some really good stuff. Harrow County, I think he did. I remember you telling me about yeah, that. Yeah, that's my favorite of all time. <laughs> so this one's pretty good. It's pretty dark. It's really sad. And I mean, if you like drug stories, you know, like, um, <laughs> <laughs> does anyone here like weed? No, it's like, um, it's like Breaking Bad, but like the whole family. And it's like all of those, you know, the mob, drugs, crime. <laughs> If you like crime, I I don't know. <laughs> it's fine. It's sort I of love scary. The points for this. Sorry, yeah. I, it's just listen. Do you like drugs? Breaking Do you like bad crime? Really well. Woo. Yeah, I didn't. I don't really like drugs, so I feel like I wasn't the main you audience the, right. for this. But I do like crime, so it it was sort of good. I, w- I want to combine the next two, which are Batman Black and White, which is a bunch of various artists mm-hmm. and writers. It just came back. The first series was excellent. And then they started it up again in December. And Harley Quinn read black and white. Similar themes, but lots of different artists, lots of different writers. Really good stuff. Some really bad stuff all around. (laughs) Just short stories are my jam. If you can tell a story in a shortened format, you're my hero. I think it's really difficult to do. And it shows real professionalism. So when mm-hmm. I see it, I get real excited. Um, and then, of course, the fifth one is the best thing I read in the year 2020. Black Cat by Jed McKay. Oh, yeah. It was fun. It was a romp. There was crime. <laughs> crime does pay, kids. It was great. <laughs> I loved it. Every minute of it. I want to rob Tony Stark now. <laughs> I, I freaking had a great time. 
I want to say, like, when you first pitched it to me, I never thought that I would really be interested in a Black Cat comic, but, oh my gosh, like, that was such a ride. I'm pretty sure, like, I caught up to exactly where you were, but, like, in a day, when you first pitched it to me. At least one of your cat ladies who deal with crime and cat burglary was done correctly. Exactly. Catwoman, this could have been us, but you were playing. We had so many hopes for for Catwoman, and then Black Cat just swooped in and stole first. She, I see what she did there. She she <laughs> <laughs> she stole first place in my heart. Yeah, she's I mean, with she the way that things are going right now. Anyway, yeah, Black Cat is back. Black Cat is back, guys, and better than ever. I don't know that. <laughs> I actually haven't read it. Is Jen McKay still writing it? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, but it's like starting over from the beginning. It's going in tangent with the whole King and Black event that's going oh, on with right, Marvel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. I noticed Marvel, as we've all noticed, Marvel likes to renumber series mm-hmm. a lot. And I think one of their biggest contributing factors to that is if a either A, a series ends and they bring it back. I think that was another reason why Iron Man got a number one recently was yeah. I don't think he had an ongoing series. Well, it was also because he was dead for a while because then they brought him back in Empire. Yeah. Right? I think. And other one, of course, is when I think there's an event. So it's them kind of saying, this is where a new huge arc is starting. You can jump ship or you can start here. (laughs) I've got a fourth contributing factor for you. It's called Greed. I was just going to say that that this is the exact point that you brought uh, to me. Is that number one sell. Because people don't read those books I don't know what it is. I collected comics for years, and I haven't read all of the comics I've collected because I I look at the cover and I'm like, that's collectible. I don't necessarily like that writer, but that's a good cover. <laughs> and I think that keeps happening, especially when Todd Nock is doing the cover art. Mm. People yeah. are going to collect that, and then they're not going to read it. And so they're like, well, give them more number ones. You You're know? in luck, too. Uh, Todd Nock, this whole coming week i believe he's doing a bunch of errands for a bunch of different marvel titles that yep, you do I not have to read but you can collect yep he has a bunch of variants out i know scotty young's another artist that a people a bunch of people will just pick up his yeah i don't think they're always number ones but uh people will just pick up his variants because they're cute so even yeah. if it's something you don't read if it's got your favorite character on it go ahead and buy it i know one of my favorite variants of his is i think deadpool and he's got a bunch of Nerf guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shooting at people. Mm-hmm. It's cute. Also, like what me and V have been doing with Joshua Middleton's uh, Wonder Woman variants. Yep. Which are so very good compared to the story inside. So now I, too, like <laughs> V, am just collecting it for the variants. Yeah, I've ruined him. But then I also have Ben Oliver doing the variants for Deceased, which both the variants are amazing and the story is great. So I get the best of both worlds in that sense. That's true. I couldn't convince him to collect Ben Oliver covers for Jimmy Olsen. I still will not. Yeah. So you're welcome, Rico Tamaki. We're buying <laughs> your books. Until Joshua Middleton leaves, that is. Until Joshua Middleton leaves. <laughs> Anyways, that was my top five for this year. Nice. And everyone, read Black Cat and read Jed McKay. He put a lot of effort into those. Those were heist books. They were varied they were interesting. The dialogue was hilarious. Mm-hmm. 
The character relationships were great. The guest stars were awesome. Costume changes that were astounding. Twists that he throws you for a loop. Makes you think you're doing one thing, but you're not doing that thing. Yeah. It was good. It was like top-tier writing, which is not what we paid for. Mm-hmm. We paid for junk, and it, we got a treasure. <laughs> if you can forgive like the interior art in a couple of those issues... I cannot forgive the art, but I still enjoyed the story. Yeah. So you'll look at the art and you might gasp, but just press through. This is a treasure. You can do it. It is really good. It only had 12 issues plus an annual, and it just came back as of last week with a brand new number one because Marvel is doing this weird thing where they'll either say King and Black Symbiote Spider Man. Or it'll just be like a regular issue of Amazing Spider-Man, and then it's also a King and Black tie-in somehow. They have a bunch of weird things going on. Like, Symbiote Spider-Man specifically, that was supposed to be an alternate universe. That story arc was said and done, and now they brought it back for this event somehow. I don't know. I have not been keeping up with that at all. Also, Valkyries are a part of the King and Black event somehow? I don't know. The only thing I do know is a Hulkling and Wiccan one-shot tie-in thing. It's a world I've been tempted to dive into. I've you should. heard a lot of good things about Donny Cates' Venom yep, uh, series. And, you know, with the whole King and Black thing going on, it's more reason to. Plus, like, I've been enjoying his Thor. It kind of lost me a little bit. It got me back interested again. Oh, really? Yeah, like I w- was there for like the first three or four issues with the whole like Galactus story arc thing. It kind of lost me because it was getting a little bit ridiculous. I was yeah, kind I mean. of in a lull. Now it's in issue 11. The last issue I read, I think it was like issue 9 or something, they brought back classic character that used to be Thor's civilian persona. Mm-hmm. And then he used to have like that walking stick or whatever. Mm-hmm. And shows you like what happens. I think his name's like Donnie. Blake or something like that. Or maybe I'm thinking of Iceman. But I don't know. But they show you what happens to him whenever he turned into Thor. Okay. And basically he's in like this whole portion of Asgard that uh, Odin created for him. Okay. And because Thor's been on Earth this whole entire time, Donnie's hasn't returned to his life on Earth. Oh no. So, but he's basically living in like a Pleasantville scenario. Where everything looks exactly as he left it. Oh no. But he knows it's not real. He knows he's going back soon. Nothing changes. So he's slowly going crazy. Oh no. Yeah, it's one of those things. Thor's a monster. Thor has no idea. He had no idea anyway. He's an unconscious monster. Yeah. It was really interesting though. Kind yeah, of like what we're going to get with WandaVision. It. Oh yeah. It sort of does sound like WandaVision. WandaVision's weird. I've saw like the newest trailers for that recently. Mm-hmm. The, every single trailer I've seen of it, I just haven't really been like sold on it. Mm. I'm mainly just watching because I know it ties into the second Doctor Strange movie and yep. the rest of the MCU thing. But it's not something I really feel like I want to see. It's definitely strange because one of the biggest influences, everyone's favorite, Tom King's uh, Vision series, but it's also very heavily inspired by House of M, where Wanda snaps because I think it was Mephisto took or killed her weird resurrected twin children that she created that eventually became 
Wiccan and Speed. And she created this huge happy earth where everyone got their happy ending. All is not as it seems because Wanda just completely manipulated the entire earth. Mm. Yeah, go read House of M. It's a really interesting story and I think they're getting well, I was more inspiration about that. that because like everyone says, "Oh, watch out for Jean Grey. Oh, the Dark Phoenix. Oh, she's so powerful." She is like a bug compared to Wanda, but no one worries about Wanda cuz yeah. she keeps her shit together. <laughs> like she doesn't fly off the handle every time someone looks at her funny. No. So, like, nobody thinks, like, oh, we need to stop Wanda because Wanda has the power of several gods. Yeah, Wanda has a lot of internal issues that she struggles with, and when they come out, it's happened a couple of times. I think House of M got, like, a lot of mixed... I don't know. Anyways, the the mutant thing was weird, but I remember uh, having those books growing up with Wanda and I think they were the West Coast Avengers, though? Yep. I think, and I know she has more of an affiliation with the Avengers than she does the X-Men or the mutants at this point. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because then you have to, like, have her run into her dad and that's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so, like, I remember she was married to uh, Vision and he was, like, mostly a man, and they were so cute together. And I was weirded out at first because, you know, he's a robot, and it's weird. But eventually you're like, well, he's just robot components. He's, like, done so much stuff at this point. Like, he's got, like, human tissue, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, fully embracing the human body and then somehow had kids with Wanda, <laughs> which I didn't know at the time because there were missing pieces in my collection. Mm-hmm. She magicked them up. She apparently stole the souls from Mephisto, who's one of the underworld kind of gods. Like, you don't mess with Realm of the Dead. So she literally took a dead soul and made babies and stuck these souls into them and was like, these are my twin boys. Um, okay. Yeah, see, that wasn't shown to me. So I was just like, oh. wow, they have a lovely family. And then the government came and took her husband, and I had to see his body dissected and strewn out on a lab table where she Ooh. found him, yep. and she goes completely nuts, and all the Avengers have to come and get her because they're like, hey, 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 you still have kids. Like, don't <laughs> don't lose your mind. We're going to figure this out. And she's like, they killed my husband. They're like, his body is right here. We'll put him back together. And she's like, his brain, though. The government's like, yeah, you can have his brain back. It's it's fried. <laughs> we were worried that he would become what was that? Ultron. 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 Yep. So uh, we we killed him. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> but I think it was the mixture of losing vision, as you've so aptly described <laughs> in the West Coast Avengers, and I think Mephisto eventually coming back and reaping the souls away from the magical babies she created made her snap. That's what caused House of M. She was like, I've lost my husband, I don't have any kids anymore. I have to say though, Mephisto's a little bit of a bitch, so if you lose to <laughs> Mephisto, you have a right to go a little crazy. Yeah, like, you, you should definitely the same that Spider-Man fights? This is Mephisto who shows oh, up I'm everywhere. He shows up with... No, no, it's not Mysterio. <laughs> I, was, I was so confused for a second. I'm like, Mysterio what the hell did this guy stones? have these magic abilities? Where does he put them? In his fishbowl? <laughs> no. Um. Did you ever watch the animated X-Men series? Evolution or like the 90s? No, the 90s. 
A little bit, yeah. Yeah, he's the one who like tried to, I'm pretty sure he tried to breed Scott and Jean. <laughs> yeah, he was and, weird. And I think Wolverine bitch slapped him across <laughs> the face at some point. I don't know. Gotcha. But he gets beaten by everyone, not just a fiddler in wherever, Georgia. <laughs> Everyone beats Mephisto. What a reference. I'm sorry. I just No, that, that just took me back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mephisto like loses in every way. He's like Fin Fang Foom, you know? <laughs> they should mm-hmm. be a one and done. Because he is embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of embarrassing. Oh. So for the first two months of twenty twenty one, we are going into the DC Future State event. Which could be Staying in continuity, it could also just disappear. Like the Convergence events, we don't know. It could be just a remake of Dan Didio's failed 5G experiment. They won't officially say anything, but it is here for two months, and most of the writers and artists that are working on some of these stories will be taking over the official runs of said stories that they are writing. In March, when the numbers basically just resume from December. So everything is getting like brand new number ones, pretty much again, like what they did with New 52. This has a completely different timeline as well. This isn't just jumping off in modern day. This is, is actually starting, I think the earliest is 2025. And it stretches out to the literal end of time. Oh. They release a <laughs> free comic sampler um, that actually displays the timeline of Future State and like little descriptions of each of the stories. So I'm not going to get into all of them because we covered that in one of our earlier episodes. But I do just want to say for the people that may be interested in reading this, here's the comics that are coming out this week. And here's also the comics that are going to be coming out the week of January 12th. This stretches from 2025 to the year 4500. I'm reading them in terms of like the timeline. So you have the new Batman, which is set in 2025, which is Tim Fox, related to Lucius Fox. I believe this is his second son. They can't even give us the primo Fox. They have to give us his runoffs. Yeah. (laughs) There's actually going to be three stories in this, being written by Paul Jenkins, Brandon Thomas, and John Ridley. And the art is from Nick Darrington, Laura Braga, and Jackson Herbert. The first story is just focusing on uh, Tim Fox, which you don't even find out is actually Tim Fox. You see him take off the cowl, apparently, but you don't actually see him being addressed by name. The mayor of Gotham in 2025 enlists a private law enforcement called the Magistrate to crack down on crime, and of course it goes overboard which calls for a newer Batman. Crows! (coughs) (coughs) Sorry, I got some Batwoman in my throat. (laughs) (laughs) And then story three, you have Arkham Knights. So I thought this was going to be like a video game tie-in for the Arkham Knights game that's coming out. But no, it's basically Arkham Asylum Unleashed. You're basically following <laughs> Killer Croc, Two-Face, Phosphorus Man, Victor Zaz, Clayface, and Astrid Arkham going and attacking these magistrate people. Who's this for? Is this like, hey guys, remember 2020? We heard you like riots. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some people you can root for. 
again, like when we first brought up Future State, I said it right there and there. I'm not reading any of this. It all <laughs> sounds ridiculous. Like, why? Why is this necessary? That's the problem. Like, none of this is necessary. It's this not... really just sounds like the 5G event repackaged. I don't know. You're talking about legacy characters yep. passing down the mantle. And a lot of these legacy characters, when we talked about earlier, when it was just the 5G initiative, like, we didn't actually know who was taking over for Batman. It's the same thing with a different name. They're yeah. like, hey, guess what? We're gonna get Batman out of here, and we're gonna give you Batman Light. You ready? And we're like, no. And they're like, okay, <laughs> then we won't do that. We'll do exactly the same thing, but it'll be different, so you'll like it. Oh, and, like, God. these are, like, the actual descriptions to these stories, and none of them sound appealing. Very next one, Harley Quinn, also set in 2025. It's done by Stephanie Phillips, who will be taking over the Harley Quinn run in March alongside Riley Rosmo. But the art for this one is from Simone DeMeo and Tamara Bonvillain. Bonvillain. Bonvillain, sorry. That is how they portray themselves online. <laughs> All I remember about Tamara Bonvillain is not very good at art and awful at talking. So, like... But just listen to this description. Magistrate in prison Harley Quinn. Scarecrow's working with the magistrate. Harley Quinn breaks out. And she wants revenge. That's it. That's the description. It just sounds like a regular Harley Quinn story. Like, oh, she got arrested. And she's being interrogated for some reason. So she broke out. And now she's going to raise some hell. Okay. 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 Is she going to be using her baseball bat too, I'm assuming? <laughs> and then the Robin Eternal one, which we all couldn't believe was actually being written when we first spoke about it. Also 2025, written by Megan uh, Fitzmartin. The art is from Eddie Barrows, which really upsets me because I love Eddie Barrows' art. Um. He's the one that did that Justice League story arc with the Spectre. Mm -hmm. That had, like, really amazing interior art. But this is the one where... It's basically Tim Drake and Stephanie Brown working together to fight the Magistrate. But can they actually work together with this emotional baggage between oh them? All that chemistry. <laughs> like, this is some dumb teen drama CW bullshit. Oh, guess what? Megan Fitzmartin wrote for CW for Supernatural. Oh, no, oh, that's no. right. I remember now. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That sucks. Oh. CW infected. Oh, okay. I, this all makes more sense now. Yeah. I'm just like, I haven't read any of these stories, and I haven't seen any art for them, aside from the concept art, but if the magistrate has a Trump wig on... I well, mean, the like, magistrate is the name of the whole, like, group. That's uh, the whole law enforcement. Oh, that makes more sense than, like, hey, all of us are ganging up on this one guy we don't know. Hey, come on and get it. Because mm -hmm. it says the magistrate intends to use this, re this regenerative super drug to make himself immortal. Unless there is a magistrate of the magistrate? Hey, I mean, most likely. There's going to be somebody, like, spearheading that alongside the Gotham City mayor who, like, enlisted them. May or may not have been by force. We don't know. Join the ultimate heist at 20,000 feet as Robin and Spoiler hijack the Sky Convoy. That can mean the end of freedom in Gotham forever <laughs> if the emotional baggage between Tim and Stephanie doesn't do them in first. Oh my god. It's like it's their only defining trait is their emotional relationship 
<laughs> the rockiness of it. Like, God, guys, can we just... Can they hijack the sky before they hijack each other's hearts? <laughs> Bad either way. You do what you want about Robin Eternal. I'm sorry, we, we totally stepped on your thing. Then we had Dark Detective in 2027, so this is two years after Robin Eternal. This is Bruce Wayne. This is like Batman. <laughs> Apparently Batman goes into hiding because the magistrate seizes control of Gotham. Oh my gosh, it is Batwoman! That's exactly what he did! It's like, it's being written by Matthew Rosenberg, and another story is by Mariko Tamaki, oh who, gosh. as we discussed, will be taking over Detective Comics from Tomasi <laughs> in March. Artists are Carmine the uh, Gio Domenico and Dan Mora. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's gonna be so bad. This is 100% setting up Batwoman. How is this not the opening pilot? I Can know. I just say about Batwoman, I've felt sort of bad for DC because, like, you know, I follow the DC, like, Instagram on my regular Instagram account, and they keep posting these advertisements for Batwoman Season 2. They're like, get ready, it's coming soon. And every single comment is, no, no thanks, ill, gross, get that out of here. CW, please just cancel it already and use that money towards a better CGI budget for your other shows. Yeah, there's not even a positive comment below any of those posts whatsoever. <laughs> did they disable the YouTube comments again like they did for one of their other things? I haven't checked. What was it? Was it Gotham High or was it another Batwoman thing? It was Batwoman Gotham thing? High. Yeah. <laughs> are the comments disabled? They are not. <laughs> but the first one is, I can't stop laughing. The one below that is, they didn't lock the comments? Now that is stunning and brave. <laughs> <laughs> Just came out to check the like-dislike like ratio. Not disappointed. It's 4.5 likes, likes to 23,000 dislikes. And 268,000 views as of right now. Oh my gosh, CW. I feel bad for the actress who took over because I don't think she expected this shit show to go down. Like, I hope she had some this. idea because the premise of her being introduced is still dumb to me. Someone said she's the hero we don't deserve, need, or want right now. <laughs> so naturally, it's the one we get. <laughs> How 2020. Oh, gosh. But... <laughs> That's it for the Gothamites for between this week and next week. And then we have The Flash also being set in 2027. This thing annoyed me, okay? This was written by Brandon Vietti. The art is from uh, Dale Eaglesham. He did the interior art for the most part for Jeff Johns' Shazam series that just mm -hmm. ended a couple months ago. And also Michael uh, T.A. So this is called Death Race Part 1. With no powers, no backup, and no other choice, Barry Allen and the other former Flashes face the deadliest threat they've ever encountered. Wally West. I... Possessed by an evil force trapped for thousands of years inside the Speed Force, Barry Allen turns to his greatest foes' weapons to save Wally. Okay, and he needs to decide how much he's willing to sacrifice to save Wally West. At least they said save and not like defeat or destroy. Can but they stop? Give this boy a break. Stop making him that one thing that ruins everyone's lives, okay? He has been through enough. He was the happy go lucky one, so naturally they have to torture him. If this guy was the comic relief, he's happy, he's fun, he's bright, and then they, they gave us 
identity crisis is what comes to mind the most. Heroes in crisis. Heroes in crisis. People Damn just it. hate gingers, apparently. Yeah. And then there's that. He's an <laughs> oppressed ginger. Leave him alone. But not only that, like, originally <laughs> when I first heard that Wally West was going to be in this and there was going to be major change about it, I was like, okay, maybe this is going to be tying into death metal. Because, yeah. like I said, like, he came back in uh, from the dead from Heroes in Crisis during his Flash Forward miniseries where he became infused with the powers of Dr. Manhattan because of the whole Doomsday Clock event. And then he got into death metal and became infused with the powers of the Mobius chair, along with the Dr. Manhattan powers. So I thought this was going to be like how he's dealing with all this omnipresent abilities now. If he has to take over from Metron as the observer for the multiverse or whatever, I thought that's what this was going to be. Now I find out that he's possessed somehow by something that's been dormant in the Speed Force, and Barry has to use the rogues' gallery's weapons to stop him? If we're going based off the fact that, like, okay, is the death metal event taking place in, like, the 2019-2020 time period? Is it, like, trying to at least be in that? This is where it gets confusing, because they just released an article a couple days ago that I read about how death metal ties into the future of DC and the whole okay. new universe that is becoming of this. We still haven't even gotten him out of that state right now in the comics. And now you're making him possessed by something else. I believe death metal just finished this past week with issue yep. seven. So I believe like there was a whole conclusion in that and how it walks into this or whatever. But it still confuses me because death metal was going on while all these other DC titles are still continuing with their stories, including Justice League, because then Scott Snyder's ended and Death Metal began. How does what go into what? Either way, like, if Wally immediately goes from being, like, Dr. Manhattan, Mobius chair possessed, to then being possessed by this evil thing in the Speed Force at the same time, this boy's got a lot going on. Or, because of the time difference, maybe... We're at a point where Wally was no longer had mm. Dr. Manhattan or Mobius chair, and he's just being Wally, and he's maybe trying to get over it. Nope. Speed Force decided to fuck with him again. Like, this is... I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if Future State ties into where we then pick up in March, because in mm -hmm. March, the story arc for The Flash is Barry and Wally need to decide who's going to be The Flash. So Wally's going to be okay at one point or another. And then you have Teen Titans being written by Tim Sheridan. The art is from Rafa Sandoval. Basically, all they're really doing is introducing Red X from the Teen Titans mm. cartoon. He's finally actually appearing in the comic books. The Teen Titans decide to make an academy. There's more of like, I don't really trust, this is suspicious type of thing, and Red X shows up. Hooray. We get a character throwback. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> well, at least they're not actively trying to destroy the Teen Titans. Yet. <laughs> we still have two months to get through. Fair. And then Superman of Metropolis, which is the one that really just pushed me away from here. This is taking place in the year 2030. This is the one where John decides to bottle up the city. Oh, right, yeah. Then there's also a story about Guardian who is normally Jim Harper clone. This time, it is Jake Jordan, who is the former Manhattan Guardian, who went to Metropolis to start over, 
at his whole new life, and this is when John decides to bottle up the city. So now he's trying to deal with the stuff that goes on in the bottled metropolis, as well as the outside the bottle. And like, Jimmy Olsen is apparently helping him. I don't know. I thought once you got bottled, you couldn't leave. Normally, but I don't know what John is doing with that. But apparently he's dealing with stuff inside and outside of the bottle, and Jimmy Olsen is helping him. And also there's a Mr. Miracle story that's not the normal Scott Freeman. This guy's called Shiloh Norman, and he's the new Mr. Miracle. And he's also there trapped in a bottle. That's it. That's all we got. Then you have Green Lantern in 2035. Jeffrey Thorne, Ryan Cady, Ernie Altbacker. The artists are Sam Bassery, Tom Rainey, and Clayton Henry. So with this one, apparently the Green Lanterns are now exploring outside of the 3,600 known universes. So you have Jon Stewart, you have Jessica Cruz, and you have Guy Gardner. So it just sounds like typical Green Lantern stuff. Really know how they can really mess it up. Probably seems like the only one that's going to be consistent and honestly like after grant morrison it was done like messing with the green lanterns this is, sounds kind of welcome to me because isn't that what we all want at the end of the day is guy gardner to reopen the warriors bar <laughs> <laughs> now just me all right <laughs> keep going so then we have the justice league which is set in 2040 this is written by both joshua williamson and ram v because this also ties into ram v's future state justice league dark story so this is like the whole brand new team so you have john as superman you have yarda floor the brazilian wonder woman oh yeah you have andy curry who is aquaman and mira's daughter she is now aquawoman you have a brand new flash from the multiverse you have the tim fox batman and joe moline as green lantern it's too bad nobody's gonna read this because all of the descriptions <laughs> are so bad I bet they stopped John and... But this is also ten years after John bottles Metropolis. <laughs> that happens in 2030. This Justice League issue takes place in 2040. Oh, I see. Between that and then with the Justice League dark tie-in, Zatanna and Detective Chimp, who is now apparently possessed by Etrigan, are trying to round up the old teammates, including John Constantine, Ragman, Madame Xanadu, to battle the power mad crow king merlin and they're trying to figure out where dr fate is then you have kara zor-el superwoman which takes place in 2050 written by marguerite bennett art is from marguerite <laughs> salvage no one's gonna read that <laughs> nope they keep calling kara the kryptonian with an attitude she doesn't have to be she wasn't always nope New 52, they put a red lantern ring on her. I feel like all the modern writers have only seen her in the, the TV series when they were growing up. The cartoon. Remember when she was just in the Justice League Unlimited? Yeah. And, like, all yep. the little teenage blondes were interchangeable? I was going to say, her and Stargirl were basically identical, aside from the costume. Yeah, and then they threw in another one just because, like, you know, mm -hmm. switch it up. They're like, here's another Supergirl. It's like, wow, they all talk like Valley Girls, and they're always screaming. What's that about? Mm -hmm. But apparently this one, she's now known as Superwoman. She lives on the moon. <laughs> she heard about John bottling Metropolis, and she's upset about it. Uh-huh. Understandably so. But before she gets to Earth to deal with that, 
there's a spaceship piloted by a runaway alien that crash lands on the moon and turns Kara's world upside down. That sounds like the beginning of a rom-com. What, what's with <laughs> that? She turns her world upside down. It's, it's fine. And then 30 <laughs> years after the Justice League comic, where John and Yara work together in the Justice League, this is 30 years later, this is in 2070, oh. they have their own Superman Wonder Woman comic coming out. That kind of takes all of the uh, all the pressure out of that other one, doesn't it? It's like, oh, he never... He's okay. It's really weird. Because, so this was <laughs> written by Dan okay. Waters and the artist from Lila Daduka. Apparently now John and Yara don't know how to work together. 30 years after the Justice League comic. It sounds a lot like the Robin Eternal. Like, can That's they stop this thing <laughs> while working with each other? But will love conquer all? <laughs> <laughs> if we're going off the fact that John, by the time I would say Justice League is around, he's in his 20s. He's like a 50-year-old man at this point. On the cover, they still both look like they're in their 20s because Kryptonian oh. physiology and magic. It says together, Jonathan Ken and Yara Floor, man of science and woman of myth. Also, can we just talk about how this tells me that he never gets held accountable for his crimes against humanity? Exactly. Yeah. That's a spoiler. Anyways. <laughs> and then the last one for Future State is Swamp Thing, which is set in the year 4500. Written by Ram V and the artist from Mike Perkins. That's the guy who did the interior art for Greg Rucka's Lois Lane series. It's a new Swamp Thing. Humanity lying hiding forever in the shadow of the green god who rules the planet. And when the Avatar of Green uncovers a stray human, a rebellion is revealed between humans and Swamp Thing. Hmm. That's it. At this point, like, humanity has regressed so much that it's like Planet of the Apes-ish. Pretty much. This is hilarious to me because DC wasn't even able to coordinate on any of these other arcs <laughs> for the past three years. They've been pushing out all these stupid arcs. They're like, what if we do this big event? And then nobody can talk to each other. Nobody can coordinate. And now they're going through time. They're connecting through time. Like, I'll write the first book, you write the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, 20 years apart. Like, that makes no sense. What a terrible idea. Like, these people are going to communicate that? Absolutely not. And don't forget, nope. too, because they're dealing with time, they also need to take into consideration Batman Beyond, Booster Gold, and the Legion of Superheroes. Because they will be crossing into all of those different time periods as well. Batman Beyond takes place in the 2040s. They're not going to take... They're not going to no. take any of that into account. Nope. They're <laughs> just, gonna drop so now them. that means you're going to have... Terry McGinnis no. flying around during the time period of that Justice League comic as yeah. well as Tim Fox and Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne is the dark detective oh yeah he is but I think based off of the fact that their stupid reasoning for why this is happening is this essentially these stories are like an alternate future like every story when it's like we're gonna look into the future it's like the future's never set in stone there's always like multiple things that could lead to one future blah 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 like we see that all the time in media and i guess this is their way of saying this is a possible future i mean i guess but also they're hyping it up so much and it sounds like they have a lot backing on this 
And if it tanks, who knows what AT&T is going to do after oh. these three major layoffs we've already had. They're going to punish them. I forget if you guys know, but AT&T is in so much debt right now. Yeah! Like, it's not even... There have been rumors they're going to sell off the DC division entirely. They have all of Warner Brothers stuff, a bunch of all of these other companies, and they are pretty much almost at this point where they should be filing for bankruptcy. But nope, they have their hands in so many pots that it's keeping them afloat. It's ridiculous. I think that's what we're listening to, me and V. We're listening to, I think, this video or reading an article where AT&T needs future states to succeed. Otherwise, that's it. They have to let go of DC. They should. They should just let go of DC. It's not worth anything anymore. (laughs) I mean, it's... What what is it for, even, at this point? They're making garbage. The merch is, like, probably the only thing that's actually getting them any kind of money. HBO, Max, is probably the only thing that's, like, really keeping them afloat. But I might have mentioned this in a previous podcast, but it's been a little while. I went into my comic book store. It had been, like, a and one of the heads of like the store, he was like, so what do you think of Future State? And I was like, haha, not reading it. And he's like, that seems to be the consensus amongst most of the people that I've talked to, like older DC fans. These are people, they grew up in the 70s. Even some of like, he's like, even people in your generation and like even to their 30s are saying like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm done with DC. But that is the totally. message that DC has been sending them, is you are not mm-hmm. welcome here. Yeah. They, they're like, yeah. you like this character? They're out. Mm-hmm. We're going to make them pathetic. We're going to make them cry in hallways and feel bad for themselves all the time. We're going to make them all weak and unheroic. We're going to, mm-hmm. oh, you like Superman? Well, what if his wife leaves him and his kid just disappears off the face of the earth? What if we just make him sad? What if we, like, make Batman have huge depressive episodes for years? What if we tease things that, you know, just to build hype and then crash their hopes? It's like they're doing this on purpose. This is not how you build a fan base. No, and not only are they smashing these beloved characters into the ground, they're replacing them with either new characters Mm. that have been introduced. Like, I'm not as super upset about john replacing superman like in the future it makes sense that john is going to replace his father if it's done organically but you've got this random flash replacing the flash Mm -hmm. like okay i'm all for representation like that's really cool i actually do enjoy their design it's awesome but there's so many other flashes like you you do have wally Mm -hmm. you you have bart bart would be the perfect age at this point Mm -hmm. but no and not even that, like, in terms of what you were saying about John, I'm all for, like, okay, like, John taking on the mantle of Superman from Clark, because Clark isn't immortal. He's gonna get older. You see that even in Batman Beyond. But I feel like they're so quick to replace these characters with characters we already have, like, example, John Kent. But in my opinion, they're still not even fully fleshed out. John Kent no. is not fully fleshed out. He got like a, a speed bump where we're supposed to yep. see him age like mm-hmm. too quickly, so we don't even know yeah. this new person less mm-hmm. than we did the baby. Like that that little baby John had more personality than this new person. Yeah, totally. And I think it was mainly because of Gleason's incredible writing. Like he loves this character. Like this is somebody he put time and effort into flushing. Did you mean Tomasi? Was it Tomasi? Sorry. Gleason was doing the art for it. You for forgot a while, your favorite boy. It was both of them. Like 
we knew what you meant. Have just created this boy from the ground up, and he had so much personality. Mm-hmm. And I loved his interactions with the Teen Titans, especially with Damien. Like they really bounce off of each other very well. But like this John is an empty shell at this mm-hmm. point, yeah. and I think the other reason why they're trying to replace these well beloved older characters is they're replacing them with teenagers or 20 year olds because they're like we're trying to reach out to the younger generation like guys dc the people that are actually buying your comics are not teenagers they're adults and i get that you want teenagers to buy your comics but this is not the way so this Mm -hmm. is basically what was that looney tunes with the babies oh uh tiny tunes this is tiny tunes time that's what they should call this future state it's uh, Justice League Tiny Toons, and those never went over well. Nobody likes Scrappy-Doo, okay? You have to develop personalities instead of being like, Hey, kids, you like kids? But it's <laughs> also like what both of you guys were saying in terms of, like, it's these younger kids, they're going to all be in, like, their 20s. It's all, like, the, the newer, like, legacy of these people but it's taking place in a certain time period where they would technically be the same age as their predecessors. Yeah. And one extra piece of advice for millennial creators, Zoomers don't talk like millennials. So if you're going to keep talking like millennials, you're going to keep sounding like those old 70s hippies who are trying to connect with hipsters, all right? When you, when you have your stupid millennial slang leaking into everything, Marguerite Bennett, it sounds like those old dudes going, yeah, I call Bunga, right? Or like whatever stupid slang from their generation they want to pull into this. It doesn't make any sense. You guys do not know how Zoomers talk. Hang out on TikTok for a day. You will hate the younger generation. <laughs> but at least you'll know some of their slang. I don't or know. just don't try it all. Or just don't try it all. <laughs> you know what? That makes it timeless. Just try to write for the characters and not for the audience and see what happens. I feel like the biggest thing you really need to learn is, like, (laughs) I understand that you want a newer audience for your content and for your new created pieces, but you shouldn't be purposely trying to remove the audience that you have and just assume that a fresh audience is going to take their place. Especially, like, what Muse was saying, like, they take up a majority of the fan base that buys these comics. Oh, and can we talk about how the military is a huge buyer? Yeah. My cousin was in the military, and he was the biggest comic nerd I've ever met because he got his hands on so many comics when he was overseas. I feel so bad for those people. I just want something good to read, something fast, something fun, something adventurous. Black Cat. <laughs> just just get that. It's, it's great. It's everything you want, but... You know, Batman's not giving us that anymore. It's not a fun romp. It's not even a dark, moody piece of noir. It's something else, and it's like a perversion. And I will say that Tinian's done a really good job bringing it back around, Mm -hmm. but he's clearly trying to steer a heavy ship into a specific area, which is he wants Batman poor and relatable again. At least a little poorer. Yeah, he doesn't want it with all the fancy gadgets and everything, which I can appreciate. And he does have to kind of make a wider turn than most of these other writers to try and get Mm -hmm. to that place. So I understand it's not like the 100% type of Batman material that we're looking for as of right now. Because he still has a little bit to go. 
Yeah, I think he's definitely at least gotten the boat in the direction yeah. he wants now. With Joker War, with that using it as his big setup for it, but now we'll actually see it come to fruition in this next Back arc. in March. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to wait that long. But like, come on, that's the only thing that's keeping me interested in DC is Batman at this point. But Marvel's given us symbiote time while we wait for DC to heal. I this is true. guess so. But also, to bring it back around, to further prove that DC Future State and the 5G initiative are not the same thing, they are releasing Generations Shattered, which is basically all the completed stories for 5G, and they just don't want to get rid of them. So they're putting it in this little collection. So it's being written by the various writers and artists that already completed their stories for 5G. We already got some of them. We got the one that appeared in Detective Comics 1027, that 1000s issue of Batman Anniversary. That was written by Dan Jurgens. We also got the Wonder Woman one that appeared in the Wonder Woman 80th. So that Wonder Woman one basically reset the timeline so that Diana was the first superhero. She's the one that inspired the JSA. But yeah, so then you're also going to be getting ones like Cam ND, The Last Boy on Earth, and stuff like that. This is all part of, like, Didio's plan. DC didn't know what to do with these stories. They didn't want to just throw them out. People worked hard on them. Mm -hmm. They paid money for them. So we're just going to put in this little collection called Generation Shattered. Try and get some money out of them. Exactly. If you can. I don't know. And then, like I said, back in March, numbers resume. New Justice League... It's going to be written by Brian Michael Bendis <laughs> with art by David Marquez. Why would they do this? Like, they saw the hit that Superman and Action Comics took. They saw how much Event Leviathan tanked. They saw how much Young Justice tanked. They saw how well Legion of Superheroes did. It's not good. This man cannot write more than two people at a time before he just gets lost in dialogue <laughs> and you gave him a superhero team where the minimum number of these characters per comic is 30 and now you want to put him on justice league are you kidding me i still have my theory that brian michael bendis is blackmailing someone at dc i think he's picking his own project still and there's a second conspiracy theory I've developed, which is that someone at DC is sabotaging the entire event because they want AT&T to have to sell them. I made that up just now, but that is my uh, conspiracy theory. <laughs> I'm just so blown away by like a lot of these decisions, and I'm like, I feel like you are forcing me out the door. And you see how bad the numbers of books they're putting out this year are. They've fired so much of their staff. They've cut down on everything. They're definitely tightening their belts and bracing for a storm. I don't know. I've worked on projects that were part of big corporations that were merging. And sometimes, you know, to trim the fat, instead of selling off smaller properties, they just put them in the morgue. They mm -hmm. just shut them yeah. down. I don't think they would shut Batman and Superman down. But I do think they would sell off the comics division and keep mm -hmm. maybe the rights for movies, if that's possible. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing more and more every day on social media all these different writers and artists that are now publishing or producing more indie work. 
Well, it's the yep. only safe thing to do when you're getting fired from the major, mm -hmm. too. And you never know, like, when your time is going to be up. But again, like, they're keeping people like Bendis and Tom King with his Rorschach book and his Batman Catwoman book that have just ruined these series. Tom King is a mystery to me. I don't understand why they keep him around. He's awful. He's awful in person and he's awful in writing. So I don't really understand what his appeal is to DC at all. But Bendis, at least, is a veteran. A respected veteran for a uh, lot of people. For Miles Morales. But he also did horrible with X-Men back in the day. He did horrible with Daredevil. He is did horrible with Superman and Action Comics. Jessica Jones was good, though, apparently. Apparently. And, again, like, in a typical Bendis fashion, he's going to have a Justice League... He's going to put one of his creator-owned characters in that Justice League, and that said character is Naomi. You're also going to have Black Adam for some reason. And again, like, oh, also, Wonder Woman's not in it, but Hippolyta is. Weird. Mm -hmm. You ever hear Weird. a Hippolyta talk with a Valley Girl accent? Because you're gonna. No, honestly, people should invest in fanfic. This is what I, I think the takeaway is. You should... Yeah. We should get some, like, some free fan comics going, and then people just pay to their Patreon to keep them happy and fed, and uh, everyone wins. And we'll see how these movies turn out, too. Yeah. Because a lot of them were hurting because of the pandemic, they had to pause production. One of which I'm really excited for, me and V just rewatched the trailer for it, was Matt Reeves' Batman. I am so excited for it, but now apparently it's being published more than it was a couple months ago that there's a lot of drama going on between Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson because Matt Reeves apparently is known for being a perfectionist and so he's having a lot of scene retakes up to like 50 times for certain scenes. This is said from actors and crew members um, on the production of Batman saying that like we understand this is a big deal. Nobody's denying that. We understand this is a Batman film, and we understand it needs to be great. But he does tend to focus on a lot of, like, these minor details. And Robert Pattinson, who we know also had tested positive for COVID and then came back and is now having to do, like, 50 takes for one simple scene. We don't know how long these are. And they're said to be wrapping up in March. Your actors act better if you treat them well. I don't know why they have to be like this. I don't know. You have so much money. Their source, they said, no one's denying it's a high-stakes production, and Matt is feeling the pressure to get it right. They said all the setbacks have made Matt paranoid about catching COVID. It's got to the point now where he's been directing scenes while zipped up inside a puffed coat and with ski goggles on as a COVID-secure outfit. It's questionable. <laughs> But if it makes him feel more at ease, everyone's going with it. I love that. <laughs> so under the hot studio lights in California, he's dressed like the abominable snowman, and everyone's just like, "Well, if well, I believe they're also filming safe. in London and stuff. Oh, they okay. filmed a couple scenes in London where it's very cloudy and gray. Oh, oh then then he's okay." I don't know if right now, but they do have some scenes shot in London. But yeah. also to give you guys like a reminder of like the production for the Batman. So it started January to March of 2020. And then they had the pause production because of Warner Brothers saying like the pandemic thing is going on. Everybody is shutting down. 
So then it started back up in September, but very shortly afterwards, Pattinson tested positive. So then they started up again, I want to say in like November, and they want to finish wrapping everything up by the end of February 2021, but of course, like they're going to be expecting delays, and they are set to have the movie release in March of 2022. Wow. And with how much of a perfectionist Matt Reeves is, this release date is going to be probably pushed back much further because your post-production has a lot of work ahead of them. You do not want to rush post. Do not rush the post, people. (laughs) We've seen that with video games and all kinds of things. You do not rush the people that are making the effects. It is going to be a very questionable film. What was that that TV series they rushed and they like did everything in like 3D animation at the end? Uh, it was like oh, black. um, it wasn't. I think not Blacklist. Yeah, it was the Blacklist. Was it Blacklist? Yeah, oh my yeah, gosh. yeah. Half the season. It was shocking. Was how bad it live was. action and the other half was done with computer what? graphics. Really bad computer really 3D stand-ins. The most intense oh, jar- shark jumping moment I've ever seen. If things are not looking good and just the last bit of news that I had was the latest quote-unquote blockbuster from Warner Brothers that got released both in theaters and HBO Max and that is Wonder Woman 1984. I don't know about you, Muse, but me and V got to watch this the weekend of Christmas. We did not get to go to the movie theaters to see it, but we did watch it on HBO Max. Yeah, I got it just so we could watch it, but when is uh, Zack Snyder's film coming out? March. Oh, March. I thought it was February. I was like, oh, then we'll keep it for February, and then there's Batman, and it's just going to keep going on. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. I made a bingo card, and out of respect for you, Muse, and the fact that you have not seen it yet, I have not released the results, but I just want to say I'm a genius. (laughs) Joe's a genius. Our predictions are fantastic. We should never be questioned. Mm-hmm. We will be releasing the bingo card for Wonder Woman 84 next week before our review of Wonder Woman 84. I just realized I could have re- released it, just not filled out. Yeah. I'll make a new one that's not filled out. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> we can do that this weekend. Oh, but I just told you we were great at it, so that's kind of a spoiler. It's fine. I shot myself in the foot. I'm going to make another one for Snyder's Justice League and then release that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's also what I did see that was interesting about HBO Max is that um, DC does seem to be transferring a lot of the older stuff onto there. I was browsing through the other day. I saw Batman the Animated Series on there. I saw the Teen Titans Animated Series on there. I did not oh. expect a lot of that stuff to be there. But also keep in mm-hmm. mind, none of that stuff is permanent. Because HBO and Warner Brothers and DC have all said time and time again that the DC Comics stuff on there is going to be cycling every couple months. So Batman anime series is on there right now. Come this summer, it may not be there. Same thing with Mm -hmm. Zack Snyder's Justice League and then Wonder Woman 84 and Shazam and slowly and slowly it's just going to keep cycling. It's terrible though because then like where are you going to watch those things? You're going to be forced to pirate it regardless. I don't know, but anyway... As of today, the current Wonder Woman 84 ratings, it is a whopping 5.5 on IMDb <laughs> out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, it actually dropped a percent from the last time I checked it on Monday, so now it's sitting at 60%. 
And Metacritic, it is sitting at 60%. A lot of people, from like the day it released to even like when we saw it, it was the average comment about it seems to be very underwhelming and oversold. There's also a couple mm. controversies happening that Patty Jenkins has responded to, but yeah. we're not going to spoil it for you. We will wait until next time to address mm -hmm. them. We all looked forward to this yeah. for the entire year. <laughs> We've been waiting for this to We've come out. We've been waiting since March. I mean, I, I think everyone was a little shocked to see this. This was definitely sold as going to be like the mm -hmm. next big blockbuster, and given how well oh, Wonder totally. Woman did last time, <laughs> the expectations couldn't be higher. Wonder Woman, I think, was also really competing with Black Widow, yeah. which still has been withheld by Disney and Marvel at this point on its release. I think Disney was still really trying to hold on to that because early in the pandemic they did Onward, which was a cute right. film. And then of course they did Mulan. It's a whole other can of worms. And they did really Soul, which apparently that I was still amazing. Have time to watch it. I've heard it's great. It and it pretty much won the Christmas movie war. Like mm -hmm. by a long shot. Yeah. Like even though according to people, it felt like it needed more time. I don't think it needed any more time. No. I felt like it was a more competent Inside Out. It felt a lot like Inside Out in theme, but it accomplished what Inside Out tried to do and, and in my opinion failed. It did it really well, and like it had, for lack of a better term, a lot of soul in it. <laughs> uh, and it really, really heartfelt. I think Marvel's trying to hold on to Black Widow and try and make sure that it's actually fully released in theaters. Yeah. People can actually go see it. It's not going to happen. Because they want to make that money. I was going to say, because like, I, I think, think it's they... because, like, they know after the ratings of Mulan, like, people don't want to spend another $30 on top of the subscription to watch something. Mm -mm. No. And they also no. don't want to just release it on their subscription service. And they don't want to copy Wonder Woman, where it's like, oh, we're going to do both. Well, isn't there a happy medium where you charge a $10 premium to watch it at home? Like, how much are you charging the theaters per seat, really? Well, like, how much are you getting? Because the theaters have to get their cut, right? Yeah. So, like, why not just charge $15 per view or something? Like, do a pay-per-view thing. Like, you don't have to charge $30 for a single viewing of a film. That's stupid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't even pay $30 for my DVDs. But in my opinion, if 2020 was anything to go on, holding it too long might actually be to its detriment because people start to forget and they stop caring. It's hard I to keep forget. that hype up. And so I'm here to say like, maybe you should hold on to it until April at least. So it's not even competing with any other blockbuster. So it has room to advertise, you know? And then people get excited, it's the only thing there is to talk about, and then, <laughs> you know, you get those yeah. reviews in. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's two types, right? There are the people who are like, oh boy, I get to do a, a superhero movie, I'm gonna put my whole heart and soul into it, I have ideas, I want to do this. And then there are the people who are like, oh boy, I get to do a superhero movie, uh, this thing will pretty much sell itself. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that Wonder Woman did that, absolutely not. It's clear that Patty Jenkins did a bunch of homage. Not going to get into it. But <laughs> it was really good uh, in certain aspects. And I really do want to talk about it before I forget about it completely. I might have to watch it again before I <laughs> review. For me, it feels like a lot of times when I'm watching a superhero film, it's formulaic. It feels like it's trying to be something 
and it's not focusing on the fun that that a superhero film can can have. Like I felt when I watched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, when I watched Iron Man, I was like, these people are having fun. Mm-hmm. I feel like this mm-hmm. story is about having fun. I'm having a great time. I've forgotten that I'm watching a movie. I mean, at least within like the recent probably years, a lot of these stories start to feel formulaic, and there's the attempt at something heartfelt, but overall very shallow message that just, I don't know, it makes me angry, and I don't know why, and I feel bad for it because I know everybody loves it, but there's just a lot of formula at play that doesn't feel as heartfelt. And I felt like Wonder Woman, the first one was sort of heartfelt, but then that formula kicked in like halfway through and it it actually ruined it because Mm -hmm. the DC formula was always broken. (laughs) It was never a good formula. Well, there's also a lot of that. I feel like for DC, a lot of it is just because everything was a Snyderverse for the past couple of years. So that's the only thing that they really can deal with or try and work around. Right. Aside from, like, Birds of Prey, that was just a whole thing off of itself, off of Suicide Squad. Yeah, I wouldn't say that that was formulaic. I would say that Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey were not formulas of any kind. No. But they were terrible movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Which means that you do need to have some type of formula. You need to have a story that's good. Yeah. Just start there. You can't just throw some stuff at the wall. This is why maybe I have, like, a little bit more hope for WandaVision than you two. Because here's the thing. Oh no, I have hope for oh, it. Oh, you do? Good. <laughs> and also, the, the series is very heavily implying that because we see her pregnant, we see her experimenting babies. That's the reason right there. <laughs> We've been getting hints for introducing the Young Avengers character since Cassie showed up in Ant-Man. So you're excited because it'll set up something different. Yep. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> That was, like, the bonus aspect, but, like, understanding, like, what's going on in this little town and seeing, like, is it Wanda? Is it something else in play? The way it made it sound was, like, I'm excited for it to be over because I know what's going to happen next. No, I'm interested to see, like, really how the start of these little spinoff shows that are going to connect to the mcu's like major movies are going to play out but i like wanda a lot as a character and it has nothing to do with her connection to one of my favorite characters i just love this version of wanda she's so different from the comics yet has a lot of similarities to her because elizabeth olsen really just she's a great actress incredible actress and i think she really cares about wanda a lot Mm because i think this is one of her first major roles where she had someone to like hold on to and you can see that in the way that she uh creates wanda like she even said like she just made the accent up Mm -hmm. like that was just her just trying to Uh. create like she solidified her accent since like she was trying to make something that was very much more wanda and very much something that as her character would be using it sounds a lot like storm in the x-men movies where it's like oh it didn't work let's just you know tone down bring it back bring it back (laughs) that's what it sounds like but actually like i didn't like her when she first showed up and since then she has really grown on me yeah Mm -hmm. um i think like her acting is subtler and more mature (laughs) feeling it feels like she put in the work and even from that trailer it looked like she was going to act her heart out 
you see her growth as an actress between Ultron and Civil War. Or it could just be better directing. Yeah, I think so too, because like, I didn't really like her even in Civil War. It wasn't until Infinity War that like I really appreciated her. Mm-hmm. I liked her much better in Infinity War. And I'm hoping that it's going to be sort of like, kind of how I expect Batman to tackle the long Halloween. Because I'm thinking like, it's not going to be the same. It's not. No. It can't be. No. So they're going to have to change a ton. Like, yeah, they can have that scene where Catwoman's robbing someone and that's how Batman finds her. But, like, a lot of that stuff has to change dramatically. You're not going to have some mm-hmm. guy being Joker with, like, a 12-inch tooth. Well, yeah. You're not going to have all these fully fleshed out characters. And also, like, you can even see from the trailer we have already, it's not the same Bruce Wayne Mm -hmm. that we had in The Long Halloween. Exactly. But here's the thing. I'm hoping that, like, kind of how we're expecting them to take tons of liberties and just be like, well, it's sort of based off The Long Halloween. There are villains and there are crimes. Um, to kind of do the same thing with WandaVision where it's like, you know, it's not Tom Keen's WandaVision, it's... No. No, even though he is on the set to try and, like, give a couple pointers here and there. Of course he's there. I think he's mainly there to kind of try and maybe get across that surrealism. Yeah. What I am more concerned about, and also maybe might be a good thing, uh, is that the director is, like, a known sitcom director. Mm. He specializes oh. in sitcoms, not movies, so it might be to the benefit if, it, if yeah. it's supposed to be filmed in a sort of sitcom-y way, but, mm-hmm. like, then it should probably be fine. I, I'm actually looking forward to it, because, like, even Doom Patrol was kind of, like, hit or miss. It was, yeah. like, I never want to see it again, but, like, when it was on, it was, it was a nice way to pass time, so I'm just going to watch it regardless. I think it'll be, like, that level of quality, personally. I'm going to watch it. I'm not completely sold on it. I'm most looking forward to Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I'm curious about the Loki one that's coming out. Loki is weird. It's weird. It's one of those ones where, like, you know that Tom Hiddleston's going to give it his all because he loves playing Loki. The company, from what I found out, that he's apparently been arrested with and is now working for is this like space time yeah. police. That's how I was explaining it to V. It's a lot like Rip Hunter. Maybe even a little bit yes, Umbrella Academy. Like, the you know, the bad guys at Umbrella Academy who, like... Yes, yeah, like time. them. It's one of those organ- creepy organizations yeah. that just... And you see that, too, just in the trailer. Like, he dresses up as, like, this one mysterious man that was on an airplane in the 70s. But wasn't the series, like... Didn't he, like, shapeshift in that one? Yeah. And I didn't see him shapeshift in this. People are still thinking, thing. like, this one frame in the trailer that showed a woman looking up at the sky they think that was female Loki. Oh. But yeah, that's really it. It was just more of like a catch-up episode for what happened the past two weeks during Christmas break. I do hope that you enjoyed this more laid-back rendition of the Court of Alex podcast, which is now our second season has officially started. And hopefully we do get a lot more things within the coming years that we can review and have fun with talking about. I started reviewing our earlier episodes. Like, I started from the beginning of what we've actually posted online. And I was like, wow, I was so polished. What happened? (laughs) I just got so lazy and, I mean, maybe too laid back. I'm just too comfortable in this (laughs) now. So that's what you have to look forward to. Less professionalism in 2021. Oh, 
gosh. <laughs> well, anyway, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, at Court of Outlets. Please let us know if you do want us to cover a specific comic. And stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and everywhere else you may listen to your podcast. And please stay tuned for our Wonder Woman 1984 movie review next week. Yeah. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.